Jesus, you have no rival, no equal. And you came into this world, son of God. And you left victorious, raised from the dead. And you are seated now at the right hand of God. And we declare that. And we claim that power and that victory, knowing that there is no rival, there's no equal. You are the Lord of the universe. No matter what we see in our world, no matter what we're experiencing in our personal lives, we know that you are in control. You know what's happening and you are in control. And I pray, God, that today we would take our eyes off of all the circumstances that we are dealing with personally, as a nation, as a state, whatever that is. And I pray that we'll refocus our eyes on you because you are in control. You are the God of the universe. And I pray, God, that you'd build confidence and faith in that, that you would give us peace in the middle of this turmoil. And Father, today, as we've worshiped you, we've lifted you up, we've met with you in reality, in your presence, because you inhabit the praises of your people. We've praised you and worshiped you, and now I pray that you'll take the living word of God. Let nothing in me get in the way of what you want to say to us today. But speak to us, change our lives, challenge us, envision us, give us new insight today from your word. And we're going to thank you in advance for changing our lives today because we've been here. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. On the sixth day, God created man out of the dust of the ground. From then on, mankind was referred to as dust, clay, clay vessels, or clay pots. Around 1980 or 1940 or so AD, clay became old and outmoded moted and obsolete. The flow of resources demanded something more linear, smoother, and flexible. And God began to create man out of a plastic material called PVC. PVC was much more durable, less brittle, and more flexible and easier to use. It could easily be shaped into pipes through which God could pour his blessings into and through. Some were formed into two-inch pipes, some four-inch Others were 8-inch pipes or even 18 inches. Each was sized according to their ability to channel God's blessings. Now, there were some characteristics common to each pipe. Each end was open on the top and it closed on the other. God poured his blessings into the top and man opened the valve, releasing them on the bottom. God controlled the inflow and man controlled the outflow. And God kept pouring. Each person chose how much to open or close his or her valve. Some chose to open it 2%, just a trickle. Some chose to open it 5% or 7%. Those who believed in in strict traditional guidelines chose to open their valve exactly 10%. No more, no less. They had learned that this was the perfect number. 
Others, less rigid in their tradition, opened it wider still, exceeding the 10% by offering an additional 3%, 5%, or even more to their outflow of blessings. It was rumored that one great pipe of past renown had even opened his valve an incredible, unbelievable 90%. Some kept their valve closed altogether. But one thing was for sure, each pipe was always full. Whether it was closed completely, open 2%, 5%, or 20%, or more. And God kept pouring. People had different reasons for their valve behavior. Some didn't believe God could keep pouring in any more than the 10% they let out. Others would open or close their valve depending on the season or on their mood. Others still decided to control their valve so as to manipulate people and circumstances. Some even put a neon-colored measuring valve on their pipe so everyone could see their amount. One even closed his valve altogether if he didn't like something the head PVC pipe said. But God kept on pouring. Three things remained the same, always. God controlled the inflow. Man controlled the outflow. And no one was ever empty. Some just received more blessings because they released more blessings. And oh, how God wanted to pour. Just in case you're a literalist, that's a parable, just to to let you know. It's a parable, parable of the pipe. The purpose of the life of a believer is not to see how much we can accumulate, but to see how much we can give away. Giving is a lifestyle for some. Some live a lifestyle of taking. And the parable of the pipe is a picture of our lifestyle of giving, taking, and how much. Today, I'm going to preach about giving, about giving. Now, as a matter of practice, just so you know, I do not look at giving records of anyone in the church. That way, I can be totally objective when I preach about giving or the truth. I'm an equal opportunity encourager and an equal opportunity offender, just so you want to know. We're going to look at a group of people in the first century church, the city of Corinth. And as we look at this group of people, we discover that they are very generous givers. And Paul, the apostle, documents their attitude and their actions. Today, we're going to look at three things. Three things. First of all, the principles for giving, the motives for giving, and then the promises in giving. And I like you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians. It's on page 939 in in the Bible in the rack in front of you. We're going to look at 2 Corinthians 8. It'll also be on the, on the projection in front of you. Uh, we're going to look at the first six verses before we go to chapter 9. For, so first, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 1. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testified that they were... They gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. Entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do so as we expected, 
but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Let's start with principles for giving. First principle we find here in 2 Corinthians is, letter A, giving is a response to God's grace. Giving is a response to God's grace, or it's to God's goodness. The reason we give to anyone at all is because God gave first. God gave first. The source of all giving is God, and there's nothing inside us in the natural that wants to give. We are by nature takers or selfish. We're concerned about number one. So giving begins where all things should begin. That's with God. We love God because what? He first loved us. God is the source of all giving. So giving is a response of God's grace or his goodness. Secondly, giving of ourselves to God is first. Giving of ourselves to God is first. Find in verse 5. See, God doesn't want my time, my talent, and my money. First, he wants me. He wants you. He wants our heart. He wants my passion, my affection. He wants my love. We do not give our time, talent, or money to God to appease him or to pay him back for our lack. He desires first and foremost relationship. God is a God of relationship, and he wants that more than anything we could possibly give him. It's important that in this relationship we recognize that it's not just a certain percentage of what we have that belongs to God. Everything we have belongs to God. Everything we have belongs to God. We're just stewards. We're managers of all the good gifts that God has given us. So we give ourselves first in relationship, love, and submission to God. Let us see, giving is not dependent on wealth. Giving is not dependent on wealth. It says, out of their extreme poverty. Wow, these people are living in poverty. You know that some of the most generous people I've ever known are people that didn't have very much. They didn't have very much. But an indicator of how thoroughly they had given themselves to God was in that everything they had belonged to God, and it was used at his disposal. Therefore, what they had was at other people's disposal as well. When we realize that God has given us everything, God has given us everything, it frees us not to hang on to our possessions, our time, or our money, but to give it away, to give it away. One writer said of the church, the purpose of the church financially is not to accumulate as much money as possible, but to give away as much as is possible. To give it away. The same holds true for individuals. In the parable of the pipe, in the introduction, we found that we are all different sized pipes. Two inch, four inch, eight inch, or even 16 inch. God fills us with resources, and we all hold different amounts. But if we shut down the outflow, God will stop pouring in the inflow. So what what size pipe are you? Small? Medium? Large? How much flows through us is not dependent on how much we can hold, but by how much we release. It's not how much we can hold, it's how much we release. God can pour much more through us than our personal wealth or abilities if we just let go of the things that we have. 
Giving does not depend on our wealth, but on our willingness and God's, God's wealth, God's wealth. Letter D, letter D, number four, giving is voluntary and spontaneous. It says of these Corinthians, these Corinthian Christians, says they gave entirely on their own. There was no pressure, there was no arm twisting, no begging, and there were no guilt trips. Just informed and notified of the needs. Giving is a response of love to God's love, not a response of guilt to arm twisting and begging. It was voluntary, it was spontaneous. And letter E, we find that giving is a privilege. These, pe- these people saw it as giving as a privilege. They said, may we please give to your ministry. Please, can we give to you? Talk about a, an incredible heart and attitude. Says they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service. They pleaded with them. Can we please give? Plenty of, of people are willing to give the credit, but few are willing to give the cash. Isn't that true? Few people today see giving as a privilege. But if giving is a response to God's love, how much love are we actually experiencing from God? If giving is part of our spiritual life, how actually how spiritual are we? Letter F, giving is a way to participate. Verse 4, he talks about sharing in this service to the saints. There are many, many ways to, we participate in organizations, we never really a part of what is going on, never feel like we belong until we actually participate. When we participate in something, we become involved. See, there's a difference between spectator sports and participatory sports. Spectator or participant. Now, I played sports all, all the way through high school, a little bit of soccer in college. And after marriage and kids, I love to play in summer softball league and winter basketball, okay? How many of you did that when you got out of school? How many of you played sports? Okay, you can admit it, that's okay. Played sports. I like to participate until I started getting hurt. There's a certain age that you start having injuries and Judy finally made me quit sports when I I had a Shoulder, separ- total shoulder separation, playing basketball in church league. Well, you know, church league is really tough. And so church league, not always the most skilled players, and I got, yeah, I got injured. Judy said, you're quitting. You're done. She said, your days of playing are over. It's time for your kids to play. I said, okay, okay. So I went from participant to spectator. Participant, to sp- I did some coaching too, but to spectator. And I loved it, of course, because I was watching my daughters. Well, our Christian faith is not a spectator sport. It's not a spectator sport. It's designed to be participatory, getting in the game, using my time, talents, energy, gifts, and yes, even our money. Even our money. Some give only money and stop there. That's not healthy either. Some may never participate in God's kingdom financially. We read about the in the book of Revelation about the book that no man could open. And some believe that was the checkbook, but that's another, t- another story. So we find giving is a response to God's love. Giving of ourselves to God is always first. Giving is not dependent on wealth. Giving is voluntary and spontaneous. Giving is a privilege, and giving is a way to participate. Okay? Now let's look at, let's look at number two, motives for giving. 
motives for giving. It's been said there are three kinds of givers. Three kinds of givers. The flint, the sponge, and the honeycomb. Flint, sponge, and honeycomb. You have to hammer on the flint to get anything out of it. Then you only get chips and sparks. If you want to get something out of a sponge, you have to squeeze it. Okay? And the more pressure, the more you get. Okay? But the honeycomb just kind of overflows with spontaneous goodness. Now, the last thing I want to do is promote guilt in this church. Try not to promote guilt. I want us to look at some wrong motives of giving so that we can understand what are some wrong motives. First one is, number one, is duty. I have to give. I have to. There was a notice in a church bulletin that said, God loves a cheerful giver. He also accepteth from a grouch. That's probably true. Is it I have to give or I get to? Sense of duty. I owe money to God, much like I owe my taxes. That's, that's just not a good motive. The second wrong motive is self-satisfaction. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel good. Sounds rather selfish. Not a real desire to help, but a desire to relieve my guilt or make me feel good. Does giving make us feel good? I hope so. Yeah, it does. It makes us feel good when we give. That's true. But if that is the motivation, then the essence of that is selfishness. Barclay says people who give like that give to themselves rather than to the recipient. Number three, prestige. Prestige. It makes me look good. Makes me look good. This is not out of love, but pride. The gift is given not to help, but to glorify the giver. The chances are that the gift would not be given at all if it were not seen or praised. We've seen all these things that go to organization. You have the different clubs. You've got Club 500 and 1,000 Club and the 10,000 Club. And the names are published and everybody gets a plaque. Honestly, I take an issue with some of the things organizations do to recognize their givers. Now, it's not necessarily the fault of the giver. Sometimes the organization does that. It's out of our control. And you appear on a list of Club 1000 or whatever. That's, that's not in your... But if that's not the motive, if you're giving to be looking good like that, then the motive is wrong. Giving to look good. Giving to pile up credit with God. And I'll just say this, and I, this is meddling, I know, but recognition plaques, tracing gifts to people, relatives, and friends begins to feel like you end up with a church dedicated to the dead, okay? We gave a gift to that, so we have plaques to recognize. I personally have an issue with that. Um, I'm meddling. I'll stop. Okay. Giving for prestige. Giving to look good. Or giving to make other people look good. Wrong motives. Number four, selfishness. Wrong motive. Selfishness. I give to get. If I give enough, then God has to bless me. (laughs) And we think about that. I'm giving, and I keep giving, so if I give enough, God will bless me. Then there's fear. I'm afraid what will happen if I don't give. I'm afraid of what will happen if I don't. God has a standard. I've got to reach that. And if I don't, God will curse me. We do have results from our behavior, but that can't be the motive behind giving. can't be fear. And a little more subtle one is need. They need it. This is, a real, this is a real hard one to figure out sometimes. They need it. This is giving to fill a need, not giving to God. Now, 
there are subtle issues here. Remember, we're talking about motives, and motives are internal motivations about why we do certain things. And it's important that we always understand and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us, what are my motives? What's the why behind what I do? Let's look at some right motives, right motives. The first one is grace. Instead of I have to, it's I get to. I get to. I get to. My kids will say, do I have to do the dishes? Do I? No, you get to do the dishes. Do I have to do this? No, you get to do it. You know, it's, a, it's an attitude shift. We get to. We don't have to give. We get to give. It's, it's grace. Also, a right motive is love. I want to. I want to. We give because love is awakened by a need. And giving because of our love for God spills over. It's like giving to our children. We love them so much we just can't help but give to them. Or giving to your spouse. Your love overflows. You just have to get and purchase that dream vacation because you love her so much. You might be some of your in there too. That's okay. Give. I can't help it. Now, number three, another, another way to give is anonymously. Anonymously. In Matthew 6, 2 to 4, um, Jesus is talking here and he says, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. They wanted to look good, they did. That's, that's their reward. When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. I, took, I used to take that literally when I was a kid and I'd be sitting, I'd be offering in my pocket one pocket or the other, and I'd have to make sure I hid my other hand so my other hand didn't see what I was putting in the offering. Anybody else have that misperception? Well, it's, it's an illustration just saying don't, don't let anybody know what you're, what you're giving. It says, your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When we were pastoring in Seattle, I received a phone call one day. A couple wanted to come by the church and and do something for the church. They were stopping by. They were kind of cryptic and secretive. And I thought, well, this is weird. They said, I want you to meet me out in the other side of the church. I'm going, okay. So I did. We set a time. I went around and met them. And they asked if we could take a look at what they parked. That parked on the street was a brand new 15-passenger van. It's a $45,000 van. They wanted to donate to the church. But they said, the only way we'll give you the keys is if you promise to never tell who donated. I, no problem. It's like, okay, I, I won't tell. It was, it was, but it was an amazing thing. Their desire was not for any motive. It was they wanted to be anonymous so that only God would know. Only God would. I, I knew, but I didn't tell anybody who it was. It was an amazing Anonymous gift for them. It was a sacrificial gift for them. Anonymous. So those are some of, the, some of that. Let's, let's look at the next passage, 2 Corinthians 9, and look at some of the promises in giving. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 15, verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Let man, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. 
And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Some promises in giving. First promise is we reap. We reap what we sow in verse 6. We reap what we sow. There was a guy at a nightmare one night. He dreamed that God took his Sunday offering and multiplied it by 10, and that became his weekly income. He lost his car, his big screen TV, and couldn't make his house payment. What would happen to you? See, love has no mathematical standard. Has no mathematical standard. But whatever we sow, we reap. There's something about that. And gives a guideline. God, the Bible gives us a guideline, both in Old Testament and New Testament, of a tithe or 10%. And regardless of whether or not you believe in the tithe or 10% principle, the one principle we can never deny is whatever we sow, we reap. We reap. We're not under law, under grace, right? Are we under law or grace? No, we're under grace, which means you can give more than 10%. <laughs> we can give more. If we're not under law, we're under grace. We can give more. Now, the motive is not to reap what we sow. Otherwise, it's giving to get. So we're not giving to get. The motive is to, motive is to give out of love. Now, I take issue with some of the seed faith concepts that I give to get. And we've all seen different manipulations of this. The televangelist who said, if you send me $100, the Lord will multiply it three times and you'll get $300 back. Okay, send me $100, God will send you $300. Someone sent him a letter and said, you send me the $100 and let God send you the $300 back. We reap what we sow. Okay, letter B, we will have everything we need. We will have everything we need. In verse 8, verse 8 says that and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Give us everything we need. Time and again, people who have been faithful in giving to God, whether it's money, time, or talent, have their needs met. Verse 11, letter C, our lives will be enriched. Now, there's a lot more to God's blessings than material possessions. We tend to measure everything in money and material possessions. But God gives many blessings, whether it's friends or family, good health, spiritual soundness, peace with God. There are so many things that we have from God. I know people who have sacrificed peace with friends and family and God just to make money, just to make money. Now, notice the sequence. It says, rich in every way so that you can be prosperous or generous on every occasion. And the result is always thanksgiving to God. And you all know that it's better to give than to receive, right? It's better to give than to receive. And then you don't have to write thank you notes. She laughs at that. She, she's a thank you note person. How many of you are really big on thank you notes? 
How many of you men don't do much of that? Okay, you let your wife. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's, it's like, I said thank you. Yeah, but you've got to send a note. I said, why send a note? I always said thank you. You know, it's one of those things. It's, I, think it's a, I think it's a guy thing, but maybe not. I don't know. Okay. Giving. The fourth promise. God will receive the credit. God will receive the credit. Verse 13, it's not about us, it's about God. What greater reward could we ever have than to see God being thanked and God glorified? The whole purpose of our lives is to glory, give glory to God. When I love someone, I love to see them receive the credit that is due them. And I love to see God get the credit and be glorified. God gets the credit. Letter E, people will be drawn to you. People will be drawn to you. Their hearts will go out to you. Why is that important? We represent Jesus. When we give, we treat people as Jesus did. People will be drawn to you, and then you can make them the point to point them to the one who made a difference in your life, to Jesus. Then they can experience the life transformation that you've experienced. They see your good works. It says in Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Principles for giving, motives for giving, and promises for giving. What kind of pipe are you? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you give us some practical examples of how to worship you and to praise you. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would give us generous hearts as we open up our lives for you to pour your resources through and that we would allow them to flow so that we can bring people to Jesus, we can glorify you in all things. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.